Welcome to Faith Fondue, a podcast featuring author and speaker Haley D. Maria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. It is the week of October 3rd, the 27th week in Ordinary Time, and San Francisco Giants are still in first place. Uh, the Irish lost a football game they should have won. And whether you like them or not, Tom Brady returns to New England tonight in must-see TV. Good morning, Anne. I hope you are ready to listen because I am ready to rant. How are you? Oh, boy. Okay. Here we go. I'm good, Haley. I look forward to talking to you or listening to your rants. Um and uh, following up from last week on just all that takes all that it takes to make a sport being competition go, well, it seems like you had an inside perspective on that. I want to talk about um, a book I'm reading and the power of relationships between coaches and athletes, but also coaches to one and one another. And then maybe just some more of your rants <laughs> and um, a program I saw as well as the importance of gratitude. So we'll hopefully bring this full circle, Haley, right? Yes. Um, let's go. Start. All what right. Got? Yep. So first, before my rant, I just I do want to follow up on our conversation from last week about sports and what it takes to you know make a, any sort of competition run and function. So this past week, I was asked, um, they were asked, they asked for parent support helping to run one of Edwards water polo games. So you know, water polo is is an interesting sport. You have the clock that is can be kind of complicated. There's a lot of whistles. You have to know when to start, when to stop. It's kind of a judgment call um, in terms of you know pausing, you know the the time. Um, then of course there's the shot clock that adds complications to it. Um, there's and and then of course different machines that run the clock for water polo. So sometimes the shot clock resets automatically with the time clock, game clock, sometimes it doesn't. So um, I was asked to run the clock because there aren't that many people who know how to do it. Um, and then a couple of the other parents um, kept the sheet, which so you have the clock and the sheet and the sheet keeps track of the score, um, fouls, assists, um, you know, all kind of those stats. So, you know, the books. Yep. the books, exactly. So, you know, it was interesting, especially in light of our conversation last week, just sitting on the pool deck with two other parents um, and just kind of watching a little bit from the inside what it takes to run a game, right? There's two referees, um, of course they have to be there and listening to their conversations, you know, a little closer cause I'm on the pool deck and hearing how they converse during the game. Uh, also what they're asking us, you know, it's water polo has this thing called ejections. Um, you know, we think of ejections as getting thrown out of the game. Ejections are actually fouls where you just have to take a 20 second break. It's kind of like a hockey penalty. And then you can come back into the game. But after three ejections, you get rolled, which is actually then actually getting ejected from the game. So, you know, there's all these complicated rules. So, you know, they, they came over all the time. Who has two ejections? Who has two ejections? They're, you know, then you kind of feel like they're looking for the ejections. But anyway, I was very grateful to their for their help. Um, I was grateful to the coaches who were there that, you know, kept checking in on us to make sure that as parent volunteers, you know, we felt comfortable with what we were doing. Um, you know, and then I watched at the end of the game, um, you know, the swimmers in the pool, excuse me, the water polo players. Uh, boy, hope Edward doesn't hear that. 
slip of the tongue. Your Um, perspective. Uh Get in the pool and, you know, pull the lane lines across. Of course, water polo is played in a pool with no lane lines, um, but most pools are used for swimming. So they had to pull the goals out of the pool. And then you had to have the players, you know, pull the lane lines and swim them across and and just reset up the pool again. So, yes, an extraordinary amount of manpower, uh, pretty much all volunteers that went into this one you know, less than an hour water polo game. So gave me a great perspective, kind of made me smile the whole time thinking of of our conversations. That's one game on one afternoon, um, you know, in one pool. And this is happening in thousands of places all over the country, really all over the world. So again, a shout out to the support staff. Um, We see you. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, I was just trying to describe that to somebody because I'm like, you know, somebody has to turn the lights on and somebody has to turn them off. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? And I I felt like there was no sport with more of that time involved than rowing. So I coached crew for two years. Haley, I did not enjoy it. Now I loved rowing, but of course I loved it because you have to rig and derig you, you know, for the boats, the, um, the way the setup works with the oars there on these riggers, but you, when you travel, you have to take them off and you then you have to put them on and then balance the boat. And if you're with your friends doing this, it's great. If you're the adult overseeing the teenagers or the young people doing the rigging, it's not great. (laughs) And there was just so much of that time. So I just, that memory came across my eyes. I, um, and then there's, you know, the race itself. So you're right. Thank you for seeing us, for seeing, for helping our listeners to see. I think that's really important. I also think just that language of um, see, sight and vision is a big part of sports and spirituality in my class. Like, what do we see, but what are we able to kind of comprehend? And then, you know, language, just even the language of water polo, ejections and getting rolled. I, I didn't know that. And it's interesting because ejection is a strong word, isn't it? Very. For a 22nd timeout. I mean, I... Obviously, you're putting your team at risk, but it's interesting to to learn some of that. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the first time it happened six years ago when Edward started playing something, something, oh, he got ejected. I said, not, I said, what? He got ejected. And then, you know, it it does. It's, I don't, I don't know of any other sport where you get ejected from the game and then you get to go back in. Yeah. Um, So, but you know, that's kind of the fun things about sports as well, you know, or is the very specific sport language that's, you know, kind of fun to learn. Yeah. Well, I want just to talk a little bit about, you know, coaching, which is a you know sequitur from there. Um, so I'm, a friend gave me this book. It's called Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, which are the kids right now, Honor the Relationships. And it's by the special teams coordinator, Brian Polian. He's at Notre Dame, but he was the head coach at Nevada, Reno. His father is like a legendary coach and whatnot. Um, and there's two parts to this piece of the flame. The first part is the book. And um, it's just his experience of working with athletes and how to the importance of the relationship that's built. And I know that would resonate with you knowing how close you were to your coach at Notre Dame. Um, and then just tips and ways to connect and how you have to, you know, give feedback and where to give feedback and how to do it and, and different things. Like nothing that I don't already know to a large degree, but it's just kind of reiterated and spelled out. It's funny though, because as I'm reading it, I'm, uh, I've always felt, the best part of coaching for me, it hasn't been the relationships with my athletes. In fact, it's been the relationship with other coaches. And I have made so many friends with the other coaches that I've worked with, 
that are in the league even that we see regularly, like to the point where I kind of collect them and they're in my life. Like I've gone to their weddings. Like, I mean, my job right now I got because I'm friends with the coaches at St. Francis from, from cross country. So it's just interesting. Um, I would like to know what he would have to say about that. Cause I'm sure his father was a coach. So obviously he, that relationship is sacred and with young people, it's great, but you might have them for a year or two years. Maybe, you know, somebody like me, I, I get girls sometimes for four years, um, but um, just a different perspective. And that resonates with an event we did this week. Um, we are six weeks into school. Teachers are just, and coaches in particular, are just burnt. They're just like, wow, this is a lot. And, you know, we're back full speed. Everything's just back. And I, I don't know if I've talked about it before, but there, there's a reason there's not more female head coaches. Mm. So we had our head coaches meeting on Tuesday morning and I'm one of three wow. for 26 varsity teams. And I will tell you why there's not more female head coaches because it just is too much time. It's just not gonna change. It's the reality is that most women, I think they take on more in family life, not no offense, men, they're great. They help us do. And if you have young children or just children, it's just not realistic, the hours involved. Um, and the three of us don't have kids. Um, you know, so it's kind of interesting. interesting. Not that I haven't, I've worked with head coaches that have young children and I just see how tough it is. And I've worked with three of them. So I don't want to say they don't exist. And with all due respect to them, I'm in awe of them and also their spouse because their spouse puts up with a lot. But I told my, um, the director of athletics, I said, you know, women just carry things differently. And I said, we're all just like, can I do this? Can I make it? Um, we're tired. We're just like, I don't want to have that attitude of like five more weeks, like countdown begins because that wouldn't you, that you wouldn't allow yourself to be in the moment of the season. So I said, what if we get together and um, we'll have margaritas and chips and salsa and not to just vent or rant, but also then to share that, but also to share kind of like what have been some highlights? Um, what are some work life hacks that you might have that you can share? And then kind of like, what are you looking forward to? So I, it was very important. It was very meaningful. It was great to get together. Everybody was so appreciative of it. Um, you know, my boss was like, should I come? And he's like, I want to come just to support. And we're like, no, no, do not come. Um, <laughs> but it was great that he wanted to, the point is he wanted to support us. So if anyone, you know, is in a group or something, just supporting women by giving them that time and that space just to be together, you know, whether it's community, but also just like sharing I think that sustains us in a way that you know, now we're like, okay, I got some ideas. I feel better. It's still hard, but I can do it. Yeah, you know that's really that's really interesting, and I don't know. I I I I would be curious to to learn to read more about this and kind of do my own data analysis and figure out. You know, the I'm thinking of some of the female coaches I know. Most of them are at the collegiate level, um, where they're in a position where you know they are either the primary breadwinner or they have husbands who are in jobs that, you know, can be flexible like that because sure. you're right. You know, one of the reasons, you know, even when I think about coaching um, or have thought about it over the past several years, um, you know, my first thought is, no, I don't want that time. You know, I want to be able to go watch yeah. my own kids play. And, you know, so are, are, are those, are the dads not going to watch their own kids play? You know, I, I don't know what that answer is too, right? If you're coaching after school every day and you're, 
son has a game somewhere else, I guess you aren't going. Um, and, and maybe men are able to do that easier than women. Um, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. Sure. Um, but yeah, I know right. for me personally, you know, I don't, that's time away from my family. I'm not willing to give up or wasn't willing to give up at, the, at that time. Um, well, but, I think you know, Brian Kelly spoke to that. He said he went to two of his son's high school games um, and his high school football games. So, you know, there's your answer for, you know, right. um, sacrifices right. they make. And I mean, obviously he's at a D1 collegiate program, but, you know, he took some fire for some, a quote that he said about executing his players. And he was like, it was a joke. It was a joke. And I was like, of course, that's a joke. And this man has made, and his wife, his family has made tremendous sacrifice. And he's not asking us to feel sorry for him. That's not the point. It's like nobody, of course, he cares about his players. That's not, you know, a realistic like takeaway from that quote. But yes, um, all coaches make sacrifices. Thank you, coaches, um, for what you do. And Haley, I hear you. I talked to a former colleague. She's the director of admissions. I said, Christy, you would be a great coach. And she said, you know, I want to coach my daughter's team. And I said, do it. Don't, I said, you know, there'll be time for you to coach at another level. And I think you'll be a great coach. But right now you should absolutely, you know, if you can work with your daughter and enjoy it because she's a full-time, I mean, she works full-time. She's a huge job. I hear you. Yeah, that's interesting. It'll, um, be something to kind of keep our eyes open for um, sure. yeah, to figure out what's going on. Okay. So my rant, um, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. well, so there's a couple of things here. And first, let me start off by saying that I am fully aware of, um, the many, the many aspects of this story that I should be feel grateful for. And, and of course that will lead me into my spiritual stew, certainly that the, the idea of gratitude, but the quick story is I, um, you know, I, I, I think it's probably known to most people, maybe not. If not, they can find out now. You know, I, I have lingering nerve damage from uh, the bus accident and my injury. So there are just some things that require maintenance. And uh, especially as I get older and things change, you know, I just, I have to be aware of them. So um, there is, there's a, a quick, and I say quick because it takes 10 minutes procedure that I do probably twice a year um, and it really helps with with some of the nerve damage that that I live with so this mm. this procedure um, again it is 10 minutes um, now the first rant is this procedure can be done in a doctor's office um, it can be done in a you know not a surgical room because it's not surgery but it can be done in a doctor's office my insurance will not cover this procedure if it's done in a doctor's office. They require that I be admitted to the hospital for this procedure to be done. Wow. So, you know, the, the first thing I wanna point out is I'm, I'm lucky to have insurance that covers this, right? And I'm yes, fortunate to right. be able to pay for the, you know, the amount that is not covered by insurance. So I am very aware that there are so many people out there that don't have that luxury and that benefit. But I'm still gonna rant about this because this procedure, so it's again, 10 minutes long, can be done in a doctor's office, but they require me to be checked into the, the surgical unit as surgery in the hospital. So that requires getting there two hours early. Mm. Um, it requires being checked into um, pre-op, going through all of the pre-operative you know, checks that required to be done. Wow. 
you know, of course you go to a hospital, you have to have a negative COVID test to get in there. So there's, you know, I had to make sure that that was done, um, which is fine. I get tested at school. That's not a hardship for me. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then you have to be, you know, you, you're in, you are in full blown surgical ge- mode, wow. which is basically, you know, a, your, your sheet, you know, okay. your yeah. robe, um, you know, the and you have the hat on and you get wheeled oh, into wow. the operating room and you're in an operating room and you have to have at least three nurses there because that's required for you know, being in the OR, there's a certain, you know, there's a mandate that you have to have a certain number of nurses. So all of this goes, and then you have all of the, you know, the surgical stuff that has to be taken care of. So the fact that I have to have this procedure done in a hospital is insane because Mm. according to the doctors, it costs nine to 10 times more for this (gasps) procedure to take place in a hospital than it would just doing it in their doctor's office. So it's just this is just the insanity of our healthcare system yeah and and insurance companies which really you know they're great because they allow me to you know pay for and function like a normal person sometimes um but they are paying so much more for this procedure than they would need to if they would just let me do it in the doctor's office so that's rant number one there is no things like this make no sense um, and I, I just, I don't get it. And trying to talk to anybody in insurance, you know, they don't care. So that's one, that's my rant. Again, I'm very grateful I have insurance, very grateful they pay for this. It's a little insane that they're willing to pay yeah. so much more money for what seems to be wow. like a coding glitch. The second thing is, is this 10 minute procedure that normally, you know, in the hospital is probably two and a half to three hours. Cause of course I have to be there an hour, two hours early. And then you have to go to post-op recovery room afterwards. And so it's normally about a three hour time chunk. Well, yes, yesterday, Friday, when I was there on Friday, um, there's a nurse shortage at our hospital and there is a nurse shortage because we still have a number of COVID cases and the COVID floor is full and nurses, nurses are burnt Mm. out over the past couple of years. And they need a night for margaritas and and chips and salsa. They need a year for, you know, margaritas and chips and salsa. So, um, because I'm at the hospital and I have the required three operative room nurses that, you know, need to be there and there's a nurse shortage. I had to wait an additional three hours until a nurse became available to join us on this 10 minute procedure. So my 10 minute procedure ended up taking almost six hours in the hospital. And again, I'm Mm. grateful I could have it. I'm grateful that insurance helps pay for it. I'm grateful I can cover what insurance doesn't, but it's a little insane. Uh, You know, I'm grateful I have a job that, you know, can give give me a day off, you know, Friday was no, you know, blink of the eye for me to take Friday off. Uh, most people don't have that luxury. Um, so I just, I don't know, I'm gonna, I, we need to pray for nurses and we need to pray for our healthcare system. Yeah. It is broken. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and again, I'm one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah. Is, this is a story that really frustrated me, partially for me, but mostly because if I'm having this trouble with a yes. pretty simple procedure, yeah. I can't even yeah. imagine what you know millions of Americans are dealing with trying to just function and get through you know yeah. any any health yeah. crisis that they might have. Yeah. It's really, again, really frustrating. Not so um, much for me, but just for our, our healthcare system in general. It it it's broken, and that's yeah. really the simplest way to put it. So, 
there's my rant. <laughs> I mean, I was just talking about my heart issue to a friend last night and I was talking literally about, I was moved from one hospital to the next in the city and I was put in an ambulance and I, I didn't need to be in an ambulance, but that's how they had to do it. It was a $900, I call it a taxi ride. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to see that on the bill because yeah, some yeah. things you're just curious about, like the Medtronic device is $90,000. Okay, well that one I get, but $900 to transport me 2.4 miles. Like, I don't, I don't even know what to do with what you've presented other than, you know, you said that the, the, the system's broken. This is clearly something that's so out of whack. I don't, how do you deal with kind of just, I mean, you're the one in it too, but like, I'm sure you've talked to your husband about this and like, what oh, do you think? He agreed. Like, well, yeah, he, he's, I mean, this is probably a whole topic for another, <laughs> another podcast, but um, you know, it's, there's just, it, it's, it's complicated, right? And of course it's, it's so much of it is financial and, yeah. and so much of it is kind of a power trip. Um, you know, our, our healthcare system is broken and no one is willing to concede anything to fix mm. it. Um, and you know, people have different ideas about what healthcare should look like too. And you know, yeah. and no one's willing to compromise and no one is willing to actually just deal with healthcare, right? You know, you look at Obamacare and, 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 and what all was in there. And there was so much that had nothing to do with healthcare that was in there. And, mm -hmm. you know, could you please just address mm -hmm. health care as a, you know, as opposed to like shoving other things in there that you want to get past. Yeah. So, you right. know, I don't, right. I'm not going to get political here. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that were really great about Obamacare, but the fact that, you know, there were, you know, people Completing. were trying to pass other things yeah. um, is right. just is super frustrating. So I don't know what the answer is. I just know that um, we need to do a better job taking care of our most vulnerable um, in you know health and and uh, and otherwise. So <sighs> yeah, again, tough. but that you yeah. know again leads me to um, my spiritual stew, which really is that that sense of gratitude. You know, I. When I was first, you know, bumped, when my OR room was first bumped in the hospital, I was told it was because there was an emergency that needed to get brought in. And I thought, okay, well, someone's having a worse job, a worse day than I am. Um, you know, I'm, I'm laying here healthy in my flimsy little robe and um, somebody else needed an, an emergency room, an operating room quickly. So that, that was where I started. You know, I was grateful that I was healthy and that, you know, that I didn't need to be rushed to, um, you know, the ER, the OR. But I read a quote um, shortly after I got home from this longer than necessary stay at the hospital on Friday. And it's a quote by Brother David um, Stindel Rast. And I don't know who that is, but I loved his quote. So I looked him up. But he said, um, the quote is, the root of joy is gratefulness. It is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. And I thought that's perfect and so true because the most joyful people are the ones who are grateful um you know and and i think people wait for the joy to find gratitude i think people wait mm -hmm. to for yep. life to be good and for something positive to happen or to you know whether you know it's have enough money or healthy enough or all of the things that people think make them you know joyful and grateful i think they wait for that um and the the root of joy is gratitude and we can be grateful no matter what we have or in spite of what we everything we don't have yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, being grateful and gratitude, that, that's a choice. That's a choice every day to see and find the goodness in, in whatever, whatever, where, whatever we have and wherever we are. Um, so I, so I love that because, um, you know, that's something we have control over joy. Sometimes we don't, you know, life is tough and we don't have, you know, always a, a choice over whether life is easy or hard, but we certainly have a choice over how we view it and what we're grateful for. Yeah. You know, Haley, thank you for the quote, because I I think we talked about it when we talked about your, your favorite thing. Thank you notes. Um, but yeah, they were like, you know, studies show that happy people are not grateful, but grateful people are happy. And I really appreciate that. I just think that quote captures it so well. So, you know, that's the principle there, but you, yeah. Um, by this religious brother, it's really, it's beautiful. Um, and one thing I've been thinking about, because I, I do agree, I think there is that relationship between gratitude leading to joy. Um, on a surface level, I think people know we're supposed to be thankful. We're taught it. It's modeled. I have really tried to encourage maybe my team um, and my students to think about appreciation. Um, because like, I think to appreciate something is to kind of like hold it and recognize it. And then that kind of yields the gratitude. You know, like I'm aware that I get to play golf today. You know, like there are crazy things going on in the world and yet I get to play a game, you know, or on Friday, it was such a beautiful day. Um, We haven't had many of them to be quite honest. And it was such a moment just to behold, you know, I appreciate that the sun is on my back, you know, and then at that, I mean, again, at that moment, your gratitude, but I've always thought like the word Thanksgiving is, is a good word because like by Thanksgiving, it's like, it's an active word. I think by doing, giving thanks, like we're supposed to, you know, do or give or, you know, for others. So, um, maybe that is a good takeaway for people just to consider appreciation, gratitude, and joy, you know, and I'm thinking about my past week. Um, my piece of the spiritual stew is this might've been in the homily, uh, last week, but the pastor was saying, St. John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, his chair when he was, you know, in the Holy See, he said, I am the servant of the servants of God. And the servants of God are us, the faithful. And he felt he was the servant of all of us. And we've talked a lot to um, athletic leaders about servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, it's such a great thing to invite anyone to consider myself included because i think when we're in service to others we see their appreciation right we can see their joy their thankfulness not always right but like small example my friend is at a new school where her son goes they take the bus home they have to change lines twice it's just kind of a long day and they live near me and i said oh can i give you a ride and she was like you are the bomb you rock and it was so easy to do. It wasn't hard at all. And she was so appreciative. And it just kind of made my day that I was able to do that. You know, like, yeah, I can give you a ride. Like, it's just, you know, that's, life is sweet when you just, I, I talked about this last week about charity, but it's just reaching out, you know, in service to others. Um, it takes an openness, I think, to be in service to others um, and awareness and, you know, um, St. Francis had a huge win, a huge win in football. 
And the director of athletics said, this is the time that people are really looking at you after the win at school. How are you treating other people? You know, are you boastful or are you like, you know, opening the door for somebody? You know, are you, you know, moving out of the way so somebody can get by? I mean, I worked with this one person. I hated walking with him because he always picked up trash, but he was totally right. You know, like he saw the trash on the ground and picked it up. Like takes, you know, about a minute. So I appreciate and I'm grateful that I learned that through Chad, but really servant of the servants. That's um, such a great reminder. Yeah, that is a great reminder, especially for someone who, you know, most people look up to as as a leader. But I have always loved the term servant leader. Um, I, I think I think those are the only kind of leaders we want to have are the ones who are willing to roll yeah. up, roll up their, you know, shirt sleeves yes. and serve. Um, right. That that is true leadership um, in my mind. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need good leaders, you know, just tying it back to what you're saying about healthcare. I mean, I, I, when you say, you know, healthcare is broken, Haley, I hear that in the context of so many different things. I hear so many different things are broken. And if we only rest there, uh, we have to name it and recognize it, but it's hard for me because it's like, I know there's a lot of things that are broken. But the other side of that coin is that there are solutions. There are things that people can do. And um, yeah, let's pray for people who are willing to just literally get in and do the work. You know, like, I mean, I probably said this when I was at Notre Dame, Father Jenkins said, you know, we are concerned about climate change. We have solutions. We know that this is a problem we can mediate. And it's like, because there are intelligent, thoughtful people that are working toward it. I mean, what is the point of a higher degree? Other than it's not a prestigious point, it's because you are endowed with gifts and capabilities, like using our minds and our work ethic. And, you know, as a high school teacher, like I don't, I have those kids that are locked in and they're working hard because they have a future and there are other kids that are just press play. And I want to challenge them and encourage them like, Life is not about Instagram. It's just not. There's a lot of forces that are saying it is. Right. It's not about your appearance. I mean, there's so much more to you and to everyone. I mean, what we can do if we use our if we use our own gifts and talents, right, for the good of others, in service to others. Um, but yeah. but you know, and you work with young people too, so you see this all the time. They don't know they don't know life without. Instagram and social media. So it's, um, you know, we, we see the bigger picture and we see that there's more out there, but they've never lived a life that, yes. that has that. Um, you know, we, on a completely different note, we were, you know, we were talking about that a little bit last night with the Notre Dame loss. You know, when you and I were students and Notre Dame lost a game, you kind of went back to your room after the game and you wallowed with your friends and, um, you know, but it was just you guys, right? It was just us. It was us on campus. It wasn't everybody on ESPN and social media and Barstool and every other school and all of, you know, you're, they, they, we were bombarded last night um, with, you know, the whole idea that Notre Dame lost. Um, And the students, I'm sure felt that as well. It's um, everything is magnified. Everything is to the extreme and and polarizing. And, um, You know, that's, that's just a, that's a problem all around, you know, yep. in, in healthcare, yeah. in you know, social yeah. media and football games. It's, uh, it's, it's really a challenge. So I think that's why 
Our faith is so important, and I think it is why, you know, having and finding gratitude is 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 really, um, I, I know the way you and I try to live our lives, we might not always get it perfect, um, and I certainly have my moments where I need to rant, so thank you for listening to that. <laughs> um, but I, there is that balance. I do feel like we, you know, we try to have and try to help others see um, you know, of, of balancing what we're grateful for and, and yeah. seeing, you know, life through a different perspective. So I am grateful for that. And I'm always grateful for our conversations because they give me something to think about um, as yeah, well. Hopefully something to chew on, like we say, in our spiritual stew. Yes, so. exactly. I will, I will walk yeah. this week um, with gratitude for sure. Um, I also am going to do a little more digging into Brother David Stindlerast. Yeah. I think, um, you know, your idea of, I, 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 we've talked about this before, of Thanksgiving being an, an active verb. Um, we're just a few short weeks of getting into that season of giving thanks. And um, I'm oh. thinking one of his books might be a good um, yeah. a good November mm-hmm. read for me. So um, that's, a, that's smart. Well, yeah. we'll see. I'll look into that. But yeah. I, you know, as always, we are grateful for those who are putting together our sporting events. We are still praying, I know, for everyone dealing with mental health. That has not gone away, um, nor will it. So even when we don't bring it up, it's still out there. But um, Anne, I hope you have a great week. I hope your golfers do well. I hope the Giants are still going to be the number one team in the National League when we're... Historic, historic season, 106 wins. They have to win today. It's the magic number, Haley. They win or Dodgers lose. Just the number is one. And, you know, <laughs> yesterday was not a great day. I didn't rant about my day, but, um, you know, when Notre Dame lost, I said to myself, Giants are going to lose today. I know it. I, I mean, I just, you know, <laughs> it was just yeah. terrible <laughs> to like, and they did 3-2 and the Dodgers won. <laughs> and it's, um, it's such a great time sports fans for baseball right now, because, you know, even in the American League, there's so many different like permeate, you know, yeah. like, games matter. Orioles, like two games and, you know, it's just so interesting all the different things that are going on um so check in with that absolutely well and again kudos to all the people behind the scenes who are making those games happen all right thanks thanks you got for them yes have a great week you too thanks ann